Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. So a small group of people, and they were out hiking on a mountain in Scotland. And as they were hiking, a kind of low cloud rolled in, and before long, the fog had filled up their field of view, and they couldn't see very well, very far at all. So they couldn't navigate by sight, and so they had to rely completely on their map and on their compass. So they headed out in the direction that, according to their compass, was the right direction. And after an hour or so, they uh, walked into a kind of a, a territory that was different than what they expected. The land was kind of descending, and they didn't think it was supposed to be gravelly the way it was. But the compass, they checked it, said they were going in the right direction. Eventually, they came to a place where the fog cleared, and it was a good thing it did because they were just feet away from the edge of a steep drop-off down a, a side of a cliff. If they hadn't seen it, they might have tumbled in. So what happened? What happened was when they were bringing their compass onto the trip, they had stored it in a bag where there was a cell phone that had a case with a magnetic clasp on it. And because it was jostling around in there, the, the needle on the compass got magnetically realigned so it didn't point north anymore. And the tool they were supposed to be following led them astray. The human heart is a lot like a compass. God designed it to point north, to guide us the way we are supposed to go. We, all of our hearts, no matter what we do, are always looking and saying, where can I meet my needs? Where can I find my deepest desires? What is going to satisfy me? And everything we do in life is driven by a pursuit of what we think is actually going to bring that deep satisfaction. God designed our hearts ultimately to find their satisfaction in him. That song we sang earlier in the service, all we want and all we need is found in him, and it's true. That is where our hearts are supposed to point. But sin has screwed up the magnetism of our hearts. It no longer points in the right direction. We are pointed in all sorts of different ways and pursuing all sorts of things that we think will satisfy, but ultimately will not. For a compass needle, the way to correct the alignment is to actually bring it into contact with a really powerful magnet and line it up in the right way so it points magnetic north. For the human heart, you know what that powerful magnet is that realigns our desires? It's actually worship. It's worship. This is the last week in our series, Church on the Rock. We've been talking about what scripture teaches about how to have a healthy church. Because the church has a problem. The church is made up of people, sinful people. Churchgoers, church leaders, we are no better than anybody else in the world. We are just as messed up as everybody. We deal with the same brokenness that infects every human heart. And so when we hear stories about church leaders, about church communities, about organizations that have failed to live up to their high ideals, it's heartbreaking, it's infuriating, but it is not surprising because we're made up of sinners. But here's where we find the hope. Scripture is very, very clear. God is not building his church on the shifting sand of sinful people. God is building his church on the rock of Jesus Christ. See, the difference between the church and every other movement and every other institution in history is that we don't find our hope in our own goodness, our own skill, our own power, our own intelligence. We find our hope in our Savior and King, the true head of the church, Jesus Christ. 
And so in this series, we have been talking about the different elements of a church that keep us focused on Jesus, the things that we do to make sure we don't lose our magnetic north. We've talked about the kind of leaders we need to keep us focused on Jesus, the kind of members we need to be to be focused on Jesus. And today, we're talking about the kind of worship services that we need to have to keep that compass pointed at Christ. See, our our worship services, these weekend events we have, are really the central events in the life of our church. This is kind of our family dinner. This is not the only thing by far that we do as a family, but it is the one common shared experience for everyone who calls Christ community home. This is the event that sets the tone, that sets the focus for everything else that we do. And so the question we want to ask today is, what kind of worship service keeps us focused on Jesus? To explore that, we're going to be looking at a section of a New Testament letter called Colossians, In chapter three, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. And it's a letter he wrote to an early church community about exactly this question, about what they should do when they gather together uh, for worship. We're gonna read just two verses here, uh, chapter three, verse 16 and 17. Let me read this to you. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Around here, we think it is amazing that God is not silent, but that he speaks. And every time we open up this book, we hear his voice. So let's thank him for that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at this verse, what I wanna do is I kind of want to pull back the curtain a little bit and give you a behind-the-scenes look at how and why we do weekend services the way we do here at Christ Community Church. We're going to start with this. We're going to start with some big things. We're going to start with our values in worship. Now, growing up, I had a trampoline in my backyard. It was this old, beat-up, hand-me-down thing. It was, had no safety features whatsoever. Uh, no net to catch you from falling off the side. I didn't even know they did that. I was like, that is for wimps. You know, what's going on? Nothing to cover up the springs. It was like right there to catch your foot in. It was awesome, you know? And we strategically positioned it over a slab of concrete just to cushion your fall, you know? Really smart of us. I didn't care about safety features though when I was growing up. All I cared about was how high I could bounce on the trampoline. Now the key to getting a good bounce on the trampoline begins with having the right tension on the springs. So your trampoline only works if you've got tension pulling on each side in even directions. Those springs pull against each other, but pulling against each other is what makes the trampoline actually bounce. Without any tension, a trampoline is just a tarp. The same is true in our worship services. As a creative arts team, we got together and said, what are our values in worship? And we realized that there were a number of values we had that created an apparent tension. There were things that would be really easy, instead of trying to decide to get both of those things expressed in our worship, if we just picked one or the other, it would make life a lot simpler. It would reduce the tension we felt. But what we realized is that you don't get very high or very far if you don't have some tension in the values. So here's what I'm gonna describe for you. I'm gonna describe four of the tensions we found in some of our values that we try to maintain and not drop off on one side or the other because we think they're necessary for having a good worship service. So here's the first one. First value is this. We value both formation and expression. Now this is gonna be the one that takes the most explanation but it's probably the most important one. 
Here's the difference between formation and expression. It is the difference between the practice and the game. So when you are in practice, you are working on skills and abilities that you are going to need when you go to play the game. And when you're in the game, you're not working on your skills, you're using your skills, expressing them in the moment. Now, practice in a game can look very similar. You're gonna run plays, you're gonna throw passes, you're gonna kick field goals, but the point is different. When you're in practice, what you're doing, you're focusing on growth over time, becoming a different kind of person through this. But when you're in the game, it's about performing in the moment with the skills and abilities that you have. So here's the question. Which is the worship service? Is it practice or the game? It's actually both. Let me explain. A worship service is the game because this is the moment when all that we express in our faith comes together. This is the moment where we get together and we pour out our hearts to God. We we pour out our gratitude and thankfulness. We confess our sin. We have a moment, an encounter with God in this gathering together. And what we are doing when we do that is we are actually joining the worship service that has been going on for all of time in heaven surrounding God's throne. All of the angels, all of God's people gathered to declare how worthy and great he is bowing down before him. When we gather here, we are joining in and saying here and now, We are going to be right there in the game with all of them, where things count, where it matters. This is so important. But it's also practice. Because it turns out that this is not just the place where we express our faith. This is actually the place where our faith, our love, our hope is formed and shaped. Turns out that the game is not just in here. It's actually out there in your everyday life. Look at verse 17 again. Paul makes it really clear that your whole life is supposed to be worship. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all for Jesus's glory. The game, the real expression of worship is out there in your homes and your workplaces and your schools and your relationships. Out there is where you follow the compass of your heart and pursue what you love. And it's supposed to be pointed at the true north of Jesus. Here is where you come to get that magnet remagnetized. Look at the verses again. Let me give you an example of how this works, okay? In verse 16, Paul is describing what happens when we gather together. And he says we're supposed to sing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Okay, so while we're here, we're supposed to express gratitude. But then look at verse 17. He describes when you go out into the rest of your life, he says our behavior should be characterized by giving thanks to God the Father. So here's how this works. In your life, day in and day out, moment by moment, you are supposed to be a thankful person, supposed to be expressed all over the place. But how do you become a thankful person out there in the game of life? By coming in here and intentionally practicing gratitude when we gather for worship. It's if you wanna catch the ball in the game, if you wanna have the instincts to just do it in the moment, you've gotta practice it and practice. The same goes for any other spiritual posture you might have. If you want to be someone who is quick to confess sins out in your life, then you got to be someone who comes in here and spends moments focusing on confession and worship. If you want to be someone who cries out against injustice and evil and suffering in the world, then you got to come in here and you got to practice lament with the people of God. If you want to be someone who delights in God in every ordinary moment, then you got to come in here and practice praise in a worship service. Our weekend services are meant to be both the formation and the expression, both the game and the practice. 
And here's practically how that tension shows up in what we do in our services. In general, the parts of our service that focus on expressing our faith, they tend to look like this. They're the moments when we are belting out an anthemic song and our hands are up in the air and it's like we're just caught up in the moment. But the times when we are forming our faith, oftentimes what we'll do is we will slow down and focus a little bit. Instead of driving on to the next anthemic song, we'll slow down and we'll say, let's spend a minute in silence, confessing our sin. Let's read a psalm and contemplate it together. We might shift to a song that isn't quite as, you know, belted out loud, but it's got these meaty, weighty lyrics that you ponder and think about. And the reason we do this is because these sorts of moments form our hearts. Sometimes it feels like we're interrupting the momentum, but we're doing it on purpose. It's sort of like in practice when the coach says, okay, we're going to stop for just a moment and we're going to work really carefully on your form as you throw. We're going to think about the angle of everything and we're going to focus in on this. You'd never do that in the game, but if you don't do it in practice, you never get better and improve. So we've got elements in our service that value both formation and expression. Here's another set of values that are in tension. We value both good theology and good art. Good theology and good art. Another way to say this is we value both truth and beauty in our services. Look at verse 16. Paul says that we need to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. The message of Christ. In other words, this is the gospel. The story of what Jesus did to rescue you and me and the world from evil and sin and death. And at one level, this is a very simple story. It says that Jesus showed up He died on a cross to take your penalty and mine and rose again to bring us new life. And if you surrender to him, he'll give you that forgiveness and freedom. He'll welcome you into his family and give you a future. It's a very simple message. But when you start to unpack the implications and all the concepts that go around it and all the things that it means for your life, all of a sudden there are a lot of things to think about and work on and understand. This is why Paul says we need to teach and admonish one another. This is the reason why teaching the Bible is the cornerstone of our service. We spend half of our time together digging into this book because we want the truth of God's word to be the focus, the foundation of our lives. And the reason we do this so much here is because we've got to remember, you, this is not the only sermon you hear every week. Everywhere you go, you hear messages about the way the world is and what is good and what's valuable and how you should live from TV and movies conversations over lunch, someone's Facebook post, an advertisement, they're all trying to preach a message at you about what is true. And so we spend time digging into the truth of God's word because we want to counter all of those messages and keep our true north. But it's not just in the sermon that we try to communicate good theology. We are very intentional about every element of the service. The songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the videos we show, Even the flow and order of service is built around theological themes. I don't know if you've noticed this. Sometimes we will follow the storyline of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Sometimes we will build a service around the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or we'll zero in on an attribute of God or a theological truth, and we'll sing all the songs about that thing. Every single year, we go through our songbook, And we review the songs that we have there. And we do that not just to make sure they're true, but also make sure they're rich, that they've got something good to say. And to make sure that it's well-rounded, that the diet of singing that we have covers a range of biblical truth. We care a lot about good theology here. But we also care 
about good art. Notice what Paul emphasizes here. He says, we teach each other through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit as we sing to God. Why is music so important in this process? You ever thought about that? Like, why singing? It's because it is through beauty that truth sinks into our hearts and our imaginations and actually shapes us. I mean, think about this. Singing involves every aspect of a person. It involves your mind. You gotta think about the words that you're singing. And not only do you think about them, you will probably remember those words. I would be amazed on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week that if you remember any specific words that I say is very unlikely. But it would not surprise me if one of the songs or two of the songs that we sang today was still going through your mind and you were thinking about those words. Singing involves your emotions. I mean, sometimes there are words that you can say that you know are true, but when you say them, they just come out sort of flat. But when you put them to a melody, when you surround them with instruments, all of a sudden how profound and true and amazing they are comes through. I mean, you know this in other areas, right? Like, have you ever tried to read the lyrics of a love song out loud? Like, not, not sing them, but just read them out loud. You ever done this? Okay. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My girl. My girl. My girl. I'm talking about my girl. My girl. I've got so much honey, the bees envy me. I got a sweeter song than all the birds in the trees. Well, I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My girl, my girl, my girl. I'm talking about my girl, <laughs> my girl. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> but you take those words and you add a little ba-doom-ba, 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 and all of a sudden your heart's going pitter-patter, 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 pitter-patter. It takes words that are true but hard to grasp, and it sinks it down. You say, ah, that's why they matter. Singing involves your body. Simply hearing music involves your ears and your body feeling it. But then when you actually talk about singing, your entire body becomes an instrument. Your, your, your mouth, your vocal cords, your head, your, your chest, your entire body is expressing something through this. And sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when music is playing, you find other parts of your body moving. You're like, I didn't know. Well, wait, why is this doing that, you know? It moves your body. And it connects you in community too, doesn't it? Like, where else do you get together and actually sing a song with another person? It's so rare in our society. But you come here and you hear the voice of another person next to you and you feel connected to something bigger. Some of my favorite moments in worship when you can hear the voice of the rest of the church and you say, oh, that's a beautiful sound. I'm so glad I'm part of this family. Singing shapes so much of who we are. I, I think that God gave us intelligent minds and, and beautiful music because he wants us to put the two together. He, he wants to take us to take the most profound truths and pair them with such incredible beauty that our hearts explode. We need both good theology and good art. Our lives depend on it. Here's another set of values we hold in tension. Around here, we value both the tried and true and the fresh and new. The tried and true and the fresh and new. We are a very contemporary church, but we deeply cherish the treasures that have been passed on from previous generations. You can see a little bit of this in verse 16. Paul talks about three different kinds of songs. Psalms, hymns, 
and songs from the Spirit. Now, scholars are not clear exactly precisely what each of those things mean, but big picture, this is probably what's going on. Psalms refer to the, the songs given to us in Scripture in the book of Psalms. So at this point, when they're singing them, they're a thousand years old. Hymns are songs that are not in scripture, but they're written by early Christians and passed from church to church and generation to generation. And songs of the spirit are probably newer songs that were actually written kind of in spontaneous moments and in a worship service, just sort of singing along, improvising a song. Now, the point here is not the exact meaning of those words. The point is this, that the early church used a range of different types of songs, some that were a millennia old and others that were written within that generation or even within that moment. Some of the songs were tried and true and some were fresh and new. Around here at Christ Community, we try to do both. Here are the things in our services that fall on the tried and true side. Every single week, we sing at least one hymn. And these hymns range from being 100 years old to being almost 1,000 years old. Here's the thing you gotta realize. Every generation of Christians has produced thousands, thousands of new worship songs. And most of those songs get forgotten by the next generation. Almost all of them do. But the hymns that we sing today are the songs that were so good that they have been passed on for three, four, six, seven, fifty generations. And people still say, we got to sing these. These are the treasures of the church. They have stood the test of time because they are theologically rich and emotionally resonant. They are worth singing. So every week we do a couple. Every week we also include some form of liturgy. And what we mean by that is prayers or readings that have been prepared ahead of time that we say together as a community. Now God's people have been doing this since Old Testament times, using written prepared prayers. Well, why would they do that? It's because... When you speak to a king, you don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. It shows some respect to prepare your remarks. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always good at knowing what to say to God. Sometimes having some words to wrap my heart around, to guide my prayers, is really, really helpful for me. Plus, it actually enables us to pray together as a group. It's not just individually in your heart, but all our voices saying the same thing. Now, you might be from a background where you, you experience this and you say, you know, it just doesn't feel authentic. It, it feels like my, my prayer should flow kind of spontaneously from my heart. And, and it should. That should be an aspect of your prayer life all day long. But here's my question for you. Do you feel that way about the lyrics that we put on the screen for the songs? Th those are words that are not spontaneous, coming from your heart. They were written by someone else. They were prepared by someone else for you to sing but don't you still feel like those are meaningful? That you can say them from your heart? Why should it be different for words that we speak, not just sing? Now, you, you still might think, but it feels so rote. Sometimes it's just not meaningful to say something we've said before like that. Like when we say, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Isn't that just sort of a, a habit, a routine? Here, here's another question to ponder. Do you think we should teach kids to say thank you and please and excuse me even when they don't mean it right then? Absolutely. Because they are rote and repetitive and occasionally mindless, and yet they foster healthy, respectful, even loving relationships within our world. And it's not the whole expression of a relationship, but where would we be if we didn't have those little phrases to remind us how we ought to relate to the people around us? Same is true with this. How, do, how should we relate to God and his word? This gives a little reminder. 
Another tried and true element. On communion weeks, like this week, we recite the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Creed is amazing. Uh, Along with maybe one or two other documents, this statement of faith has united all Christ followers for 2,000 years. It is the best summary of the core Christian message, and it is one of the few things that every Christian everywhere agrees on. This is our pledge of allegiance. It's our manifesto. It's our rallying cry as a church. This is what we stand for. And so what I love about this, when we recite the creed around here, it is very common for us not to just to say it, but to say it with heart and then to burst into applause afterward because it's that incredible. Now, my hope is this. If you're not naturally drawn to these tried and true historic elements of our service, please try to put in the effort to learn to appreciate them. I sort of feel like it's, it's sort of like fine art or fine music. I never listened to classical music growing up, but I married a woman who plays violin. And so I needed to learn how to appreciate classical music. And it takes a little bit more work, but once you do, it's incredibly profound and enriching. On the other side of the spectrum, though, we've got the fresh and the new. Uh, Every week, we sing songs that have been written in just the past year or two. We've got a modern, up-to-date sound. We we use a bunch of video around here. Uh, Video, this incredible medium that allows us to take abstract, big ideas and put flesh on them. We, We can tell powerful stories. We can introduce questions and issues that the sermon's gonna address. We can interject a little bit of humor into the service. It's a, a great way to do that. Around here, we also use lights and live video and stage design to create an atmosphere to have an experience of worship in. I just got back from a, a go team to the Czech Republic. And while we were there, we went into a number of different churches and cathedrals. Some of these were seven, 800 years old, and they were incredible. I don't know if you've ever actually been in a cathedral, but you look around and they are visually pretty overwhelming that you see these incredible stained glass windows and they've got these stories from scripture and from church history all over the place. And you look at all the stonework and they're crafted in all these unique ways to tell different stories and symbols of different theological truths. And everywhere you look, you see, oh, I missed that. I missed that. There's something more. And it's enriching to ponder all these things. And they're designed in a way that the architecture draws your eye upward and it actually feels like it it draws your heart upward and you say, there's something transcendent and big going on in this place. You go to other cultures, you can find other examples of things like this. Visual beauty in spaces of worship. People that do mosaics or put up banners or do murals or frescoes or statues or calligraphy and on and on. Why have Christians always done this? Because we know that the visual environment of worship matters a whole lot. In the book of Exodus, God instructs his people to build the tabernacle, this beautiful space that was actually built. God said, you gotta get the artist to build this space for me. And they brought in the artist and they built this space for people to meet with God. The beauty of the tabernacle was actually meant to be a reflection of the beauty of God's heavenly throne room. If you read uh, Revelation chapter four and five, you get this picture of the heavenly court and it is visually stunning. There is light and color and movement all over the place. Now, we don't think that our lighting or our stage design around here is at the same level of a medieval cathedral or the tabernacle and certainly not the courtroom of heaven. And yet, we're trying to do what God's people have always done, to use the technology and art of our day to make our worship spaces visually engaging and an expression of praise to God. Now, some of you, you might look at the sort of fresh and new side of our services and say, you know what, is all that really necessary? 
Like, do, do we have to do those sorts of things? And the answer to that question is no, absolutely not. It's not necessary. All Christians need to worship is this, a place to meet, a Bible, and some bread and wine to have communion, and that's it. Churches can meet in prison cells and storefronts and living rooms and basements. They have for years. But since the very beginning, when we've been able to, Christ followers have taken cultural expressions of beauty from all around us and said, you know what? If Jesus is king of the world, he's king of that too. And we ought to bring that in and use it to honor the one who calls all people and all cultures to worship him. And so that's why we do this. We try to bring in both the tried and true and the fresh and new. One final tension in our values. We design our services with both believers and explorers in mind, both believers and explorers. When I was growing up, we had big family dinners every single night, and we loved having guests join in on those dinners. It would not surprise me any time I would walk into dinner that one of my sisters or my parents had invited someone over. We even had a neighbor that we affectionately called Kimmy Gibbler because she would just walk in the house and not knock and just take our food and start eating, and we loved her for that. But we had some family traditions that we would do at our family dinners. We would pray before our meal, and at the end of the meal, we'd actually go around and say something from our day we were thankful for, and a few things like that. And we knew that if you were a guest, you would be surprised by those things. And so every time we did something like that, we would turn to the guest and say, hey, just so you know, this is what we're about to do. And if you want to participate, here's how you can do that. Now, it was clearly a family gathering, but we never acted like it was just family when there were guests around. And that's how we think about these services. It is simply a fact that some of you here today are deeply committed followers of Christ. And some of you are not. This is true every single week. And it has always been true about Christian services. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul describes, he says, you know what? When you're putting together a service, you should think about how to make it intelligible to people who don't know what's going on and they just sort of walk in and see what's happening here. And you should make it so that they can see what's under, going on and understand what you're doing. Even if they aren't participating fully, they can see it and see it and say, truly God is in this place. Something special is happening here. I understand who God is and what he says. And so that's what we do. When we think through our services, we you do it through the lens of both the committed believer and the person who's still sorting out what they think about Jesus. Even someone who's skeptical about all this God stuff. And if that's you and you're here, we are so glad you're here. We've been expecting you, planned for you. Now, we try to do as much as we can because of that. When we're doing something that might be confusing, we try to minimize that confusion by explaining what we're doing. For example, in just a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate communion. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a long time, this is gonna feel totally normal, but we don't just start passing out bread and doing all, whatever we do. We stop and we say, hey, this is how it works, this is why we're doing it, and so on. And we don't just explain what we're doing in the services. We also try to include elements in the service that are going to connect with people no matter what their experience is in our culture. So we like to imitate the Apostle Paul. When he was sharing the gospel with a group of people, he might quote a pagan poet and say, here's what people in this culture say about this topic. Here are some of the things about it we agree with and some of the things that Jesus says something different. But here's a good starting place for the conversation. And so we do that around here too. Every once in a while, we'll play a secular song about the topic we're preaching on. We'll show a, a, a movie clip or a, a TV show that, that uh, illustrates an idea that's going around in our culture. Or we'll quote someone in the sermon who is not a believer and say, here's some wisdom or here's an insight or here's a thought from them. What do we think about that? 
We do this because we want to be having a dialogue, a conversation with our neighbors. Sometimes we even design our weekend services to be very focused on explorers, more than normal. Uh, One of those is coming up next week. We're having inspiring stories. One of these weekends we do three times a year where we bring in a guest and we hear their story of hope. And Gene McGuire's story is gonna be incredible. We've already heard that he was a a convict who uh, was uh, arrested and convicted for something he didn't do. And he spent 35 years under that sentence until he was released in 2012. And his story is full of hope and hope not just because he got let out, but because he found Jesus on the inside. And so uh, people around you are looking for inspiration, looking for hope. And so we try to make it easy for you to say, come and join me. There's a story you gotta hear, you're gonna love it. Uh, Statistics say this, 50% of all non-church-going people say they would come to church if their friend friend would just invite them. They don't wanna go by themselves, but if if someone said, hey, you wanna come with me? They'd say, yeah, I'd be interested in that. So if you haven't done so already, grab an invite card, Talk to a coworker, talk to a friend or a family member, and make sure you're here next week. You won't want to miss it. So those are some of our key values in worship, our both ands. Before I, I keep going, I want to briefly describe our process, our process. This is sort of behind-the-scenes stuff that most of us don't talk about very often, uh, because, not because it's a secret, but because we think people are going to find it boring. Uh, but I'm going to tell you today, because recently I shared about our process with a couple of different people, and they both reacted the same way. They both said, I am shocked at how much care and attention you guys put into crafting these services. I had no idea that's what you did. So I'm going to tell you, and maybe you won't think the same way as that, but Here we go, okay? Uh, This is sort of a week in the life of the creative arts team. Um, The surprising thing about this is that we don't plan worship services individually. We plan them as a group. It is a team process. So at each campus, it is not your worship pastor just picking out the songs for that week. Uh, We have a team that's made up of our four campus worship pastors, Cindy, Brendan, Ben, and Petey, along with five other members of the creative arts team, including me. And the other thing that might surprise you about this is how far in advance we plan the services. We start planning nine weeks ahead of the weekend for what we're doing now. So this service got started planning on August 7th, and this week we started planning the the first week of December. So we're, we're way ahead in how we plan. What we do is every Tuesday we get together and we study the passage for the weekend we're planning and we get our head around the theme of the, 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 the weekend. We say, okay, what are things that would fit around this idea, this theme? We, what is scripture saying that we want to communicate through every element of our service? Over the next week, uh, we brainstorm ideas around that theme for videos and songs and things that we could do in the service and we come up with a few different plans that we might do. Then six or seven weeks out, we get together with Pastor Jim and we say, okay, here are the plans we have, some of the options, and together as a team, we decide which of those options we're gonna do. And then a flurry of activity begins. For the next few weeks, we develop the elements, the the videos and the songs, and we write the prayers and the readings and we do scripts and we get the text stuff together and we plan the lights and the slides and the visuals and all of that. And then two days before, on Thursday evening, At each of our campuses, we do a live rehearsal of the entire service to make sure we've got everything ready, and then the weekend comes. And it is fantastic. I I can't tell you how much fun we have actually putting on these services. Uh, Dozens of volunteers here singing and playing and operating cameras and coordinating things backstage and running sound and doing all sorts of stuff. And then 
the process continues. Even when we're done with the service, this is what happens. The next week, we send out an evaluation form to volunteers and staff and people around the church and say, all right, tell us what went well in that service and what could have gone better. And then each Tuesday morning, our team reviews that feedback and says, okay, what can we learn from this past week? Actually, this week, we'd like to include you a little bit on that process. We'd like to get some of your feedback about how worship services go here at Christ Community. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to send out a survey about the weekend services. The URL is on your screen, but we're also going to send it through the church newsletter, the email newsletter, and we're going to post the link on our social media accounts. And so sometime this week, this is what I'd like you to do. Share your thoughts about what we do here. Even if your thoughts are just, I love it, everything is great, the music is great, the people are wonderful, that teaching pastor is just brilliant, you know? <laughs> Seriously, you can, you, all of you put that in there, okay? But honestly, we value your opinion, want to know what you think. Now here's why I share about the process. I want you to realize how important this is to us. We start that far out because we wanna do a good job and also because we wanna be guided by the Holy Spirit. We aren't flying by the seat of our pants, which gives us time to listen to God's voice as we pray through each step along the way. And the reason we wanna do such a good job is because this is an expression of our love for God, and he is worthy of our very best. And it's also an expression of our love for you, our church family. We, we love you so much, and we want to give you the best that we can. You're spending your time here, and we want to make it worth it for you. So that's why we do the process that we do. One final aspect of our service that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about our participation. Because this is not a venue of entertainment. This is not a show. This is a group activity, something we do all together. And you aren't going to get much out of these services if you aren't actively participating in the experience. Sometimes people will say about a worship service, you know what, I just, I just didn't get much out of it. And I have heard pastors and uh, other people respond to that and say, well, that's a bad attitude. You, you shouldn't think about what you want to get out of the service. You should be thinking about what you can give and so on. And I kind of agree with that, but I kind of don't agree with that. I actually think you should try to get something out of the worship service. Like, we've been talking about it. Worship services are supposed to shape you and form you in really profound ways. You're, you're supposed to get something really important out of this. Now, every week is not going to be life-changing, but they can all be meaningful moments. And over time, over years of coming week in and week out, you are gonna be shaped in amazing ways by your experience in worship services. The problem is not trying to get something out of the worship services. The problem is thinking that it's somebody else's job to make sure you get something out of the worship service. It's just like anything else in life. An exercise class is not gonna do you any good if you show up but you won't exert yourself. A well-prepared meal displayed in a beautiful way will not be much fun if you don't pick up your fork and taste it or if you scarf it down without thinking about it. The same is true of a worship service. If you want to get something out of these, you've got to engage your heart and your mind and even your body in some ways in getting something out of this. Now, that starts even before you arrive. Uh, honestly, the best advice I could give to some of you is this. Make sure you get a good night's sleep and eat a meal before you show up so that you're not dozing off and thinking how hungry you are the entire time. I know that from personal experience, okay? It, it helps a lot. It also helps if you get here with enough time to be in the room before the song starts and uh, you, you have a moment to say, okay, God, whatever you wanna do in this service, I'm open to what you wanna do. And then when the music starts, 
you gotta make sure you're singing along. And I know that sounds really simple, but apparently it's really important because in the Bible, God says it 50 times. Sing, 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 sing. So it must be something that matters. And I know from my experience that there are plenty of times when I come in here and my heart is just not ready, okay, and I'm not feeling it, but if I just give a little bit of enthusiasm and say, I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna sort of sing just a little bit more than I want to, it actually pulls me along and actually gets me more into the spirit of what's going on. Now, I know that for some of you, the difficulty is you don't really know the songs we sing very well. And if you're new around here, that makes complete sense. And even if you're a regular around here, it might be hard to learn all of our songs. I mean, we sing a song today, we don't sing it for another month or two, that's difficult to get to know that song. So we're gonna help you with that. Uh, we have actually put together a Spotify playlist of all the songs that are in our songbook. So if you wanna go listen to all you know, 80 songs that we sing on a regular basis, you can just put that on, uh, on in the background and over time you'll get to know some of our songs. We're actually gonna start doing every single sermon series. We're gonna to put together all of the songs that we're gonna do for that series and before the series comes out, we're gonna open that up and you can listen to all the songs we're gonna do basically for the next month. So I actually did this today. Uh, this morning, I was playing a game with my daughter, and in the background, we put on the Church on the Rock uh, playlist on Spotify and just kind of hummed and sang along as we played our game. It's really helpful to prepare today. And when you sing, when you're here and you're singing, I just want to remind you, it is not just about your voice. The Bible describes a huge variety of physical ways to express your worship. Look at these. Talks about bowing and kneeling and dancing and clapping and shouting and lifting up your hands. And it also talks about being still and quiet before God. But there is a huge range of how you use your body to express worship. But here's the thing that's true. Worship is not just about your thoughts. It's not just about your feelings. It is also about the body that God gave you. Now, some of you are not gonna be ready to like dance in the aisle or anything, and that's okay. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Take one step towards being just a little bit more physically expressive. Some of you, that just means doing this. Like the secret, like, I, like if people aren't looking closely, they don't know my hands are up. Like just start with that. Or, or if you're that guy, just be like, I'll do one hand, I'll do one hand like this, you know what I mean? Like the teacher won't call on you, it'll be okay, all right? Like just try it. Now, final question here. Sometimes people say, we're singing a song and the words on there, honestly, I don't mean them. Like, how do I sing a song that isn't expressing something that I'm feeling right now? I wanna give you a couple of tips. First is this. Recognize that in worship, there's both an objective side and a subjective side. The objective side is this. It's the things we say that are true all the time, whether you feel it or not. The subjective side are the things like, I long for you, I desire you, that may be true or maybe not for you right now. When we are singing a song and you're not feeling it, Focus on the objective side. I'll give you an example. The next song we're gonna sing has this in it. It says, oh, the rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. My soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. The objective part is that first two lines. The, the rugged cross, my salvation, your love poured out over me. That is always true. The cross is the place where God brought salvation and showed his love for you. It's always true. The, the next line, my soul cries out hallelujah, is the subjective side. That might not be true of you right now. You might not be feeling that. So what you shouldn't do is focus in on, I don't feel it, I don't feel it, I don't feel it. You should focus in on that objective side and say, okay, God, I know it's true. The cross is the place where you save me. The cross is the perfect picture of your love. That's what love looks like. 
Jesus laying down his life for me. And you think about that. You know what? Before long, the subjective side will start to catch up. Here's the other thing you can do. When we are saying something that you do not feel is true about you, simply change it in your mind and say, God, I want this to be true about me. You might not mean it now, but you want to mean it one day. So if we're saying, I'm sorry for my sin, and you don't feel sorry, you say, God, I know I ought to be sorry for my sin. Make me sorry. God, you are my delight. You say, God, I, honestly, I don't feel like you're my delight, but make, make me delight in you. We're gonna sing a song that says, it'll be my joy to say your will, your way. And you're like, I'm feeling stubborn right now. Just say, God, make it my joy to say your will, your way. That'll help you get into a song even when you don't mean it. Final image for you. Sometimes it helps to reverse the question. The question here is not, what do I think about worship services? The question is, what does God think about worship services? The other day, I was the first person home at my house. And I was waiting in the kitchen and eating my dinner and my wife was coming home with the kids. And I heard the van pull up in the driveway and the first person bursting through the door was my eight-year-old. And she comes running up and I kneel down, get eye to eye with her, and she comes up and puts her arms around my neck and just squeezes me tight. A few minutes later, my four-year-old comes bursting in the door and she sees a hug going on. She's like, I'm not gonna miss out on that. And so she comes running up and she joins in the hug. A minute later, my wife comes in, sets down our two-year-old and he comes running up and he's like, ah, I'm in on the dog pile. And we had this big family hug and I loved it. It was the best moment of my week. I think that that's how God feels about this. Now, here's the thing. When my kids came up and hugged me, the reason I was happy was in part because I felt like, oh, it's nice to feel that my kids love me. But that was not the main part of my happiness. The thing that made me so happy is I realized my kids know I am happy to see them and that when they come home, I am thrilled to embrace them. And I think that's how God feels about this. He's saying, I'm so glad you're here because you gotta know I am happy to see you. I love being with you and I know when you're singing out about how, my grace, I know you got it. You figured it out. I love you so much. And I think that is why this is one of God's favorite moments of the week. Let's pray. Father, we love that you welcome us and you embrace us and that this big family hug can be something that you delight in and we delight in and we can find our satisfaction, our, our, our true north that our hearts are supposed to be pointed to. God, we pray now, even as we celebrate communion, that you, we would have that experience where we express our love for you and experience your love for us and we are formed and shaped into people who worship you in every area of life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.